have never met such a conscious group of people like donor conceived people. They are aware of the entire family's feelings about this immediately. And they are consistently thinking about not just their family, also the donor's family. Welcome to another episode of Luke, Who Is Your Father? I'm your host, Ricky. This is Jules. I'm Kenny. And we are so happy to have you back. We are well underway with season two. If you'd like to hear our origin story, go back and listen to season one. We are triplets separated at birth who reunited and then went on the hunt for our biological father. And this season, we have turned the mic over to our guests who we have been so lucky to have and do want to gently remind you that all experiences and opinions shared are those of our guests. And sometimes we agree and sometimes we sort of agree <laughs> you can find us on pretty much any social media platform we are on tiktok at luke who is your father pod at ricky jump and at jules who is your father we're on instagram at luke who is your father at ricky jump and at kenny k 23 and you can unfortunately watch all of these episodes on <laughs> youtube at luke who is your father those get pretty fun and they're more uncensored than the ones that we put out on Spotify, not Less only edited. for brevity, but for fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we so appreciate your support so far this season and last season. We're really loving all of the reviews. If you could take a minute to just like, subscribe, rate, review, five stars would be nice. Four stars will do. The rest you can keep to yourselves. And don't forget that there is a little box where you can actually put your thoughts and opinions and make sure that they are flattering. <laughs> <laughs> we do also do Q&As and polls on occasion. Our most recent one was, can you hear this podcast in your car? That is feedback that we've been getting, but I want to make sure before we make any wild changes to the mix that it is, in fact, a common problem that people can't hear in their car. So go ahead and go and tell us that. Other than that, I think it's time for me to throw it over to Kenny K23 so she can ask us the question of the day. Oh, shit. <laughs> Julia. Mm-hmm. Jules. That's me. But I don't know if uh, y'all know that I call Julianne Julianne because Jules is weird to me. Anyway. Kenny's weird to me. Yep. <laughs> and Jules. I'm just Ricky. Rick. Rick. Jules, what is your favorite vacation that you have ever been on? Ooh. I mean, recency bias probably has to factor in here just because I do tend to go on fewer vacations than my lovely sisters. Uh, my recent vacation to Panama with, and that was, um, I do believe that that's the first vacation I've ever gone on with a significant other alone, I think. I'm pretty sure. Yes, it is, Luke. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, we went down to Panama, which was not... I think when people hear that, they might think that that is a rather random place to end up. Um, we were planning on going to Chile or Argentina for a ski trip. And then upon some further research, we discovered that 
we were nervous that there might not be good snow, which would have been terrifying. So, or not terrifying, just um, really disappointing. <laughs> so we literally just pulled up Google flights and flights to Panama round trip were like $348 or something. Mm-hmm. And we went there and it was so fun. Absolutely beautiful. The weather was amazing. The people are so sweet. I got my little frog tattoo because so the frog is the national national animal of Panama national amphibian of Panama national <laughs> I think it's the national animal and it was just a great time we did a little island topping and overall just really easy vacation and I think we decided that we are easy travelers together which is so important that's very important mm-hmm. very good awesome Ricky what is your favorite vacation that you've ever been on does Colin make it this far into the podcast? This would be a fun time to find out. Oh, my <laughs> test. It's a test. Because I do feel obligated to answer <laughs> that my favorite vacation ever was the vacation in which I got engaged. So Colin and I did go on vacation this summer, took a little Euro trip, went to Amsterdam, Cologne, Germany, Paris, and switzerland our favorite out of those was cologne germany so i have to advise if you haven't been and weren't considering going you should aside from that my favorite vacation i've ever taken was definitely to northern italy me and my friend lizeth didn't know each other at the time at all uh (laughs) we had just started working together i knew her birthday was on new year's eve and i was like is that a terrible birthday? And I saw Scott's cheap flights come through for really cheap flights to Italy. And I walked into her office and I said, do you want to spend your birthday in Italy? And she said, yeah. And we booked a trip to Italy. And that was the first time we'd spent one-on-one together. We went to... That is is a choice. That is so brave. (laughs) And obviously it turned out very, very well. It did turn out well. And it's not the first trip that I've taken with a woman like that. Like it, it being our first one-on-one time hanging out ever. I've just got balls of steel. What can I say? <laughs> but we went to Venice and we went to Turin and we went to Bologna. And if we went anywhere else, then I cannot remember. But Turin and Bologna are the only places I've ever been where they have handed me a plate of food and I have wept. So let me just <laughs> perpetuate the fat narrative. <laughs> oh, no. That was a great trip. Kendall. <clears throat> What's your favorite vacation you've ever taken? All right. My favorite vacation, and I love that I ask a question, and I don't know the answer. So I am going to go... Obviously, Portugal. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, okay. Let's go with Lake Powell. There you um, go. So <clears throat> pretty much all of the Lake Powell trips that we ever took, even the ones wherein we burned our friend... To a crisp. To a crisp. Um, love you, John McNamara. <laughs> love you, John McNamara. But uh, our parents really knew how to do Lake Powell up. And they would um, do a theme for the whole trip. And then within the trip, each night, the each family had a different theme that they had to plan. And I've been three times in my life and all of them I'm going to say were my favorite trip but yeah just camping under the stars beautiful yeah uh, like Powell is absolutely stunning sleeping on top of the houseboat sleepwalking on top of the houseboat yes yeah, <laughs> stepping in human feces Fireworks. Yeah. and dragging it onto the houseboat 
<laughs> strapping flashlights to squirt guns and have, have raging wars against the mice. Yep. Bats in the boat. See, Ricky. <laughs> kind of glad I missed out. Speaking of raging wars, <laughs> our guest this week, we are so excited to introduce. She is prolific on the internet. She is your donor conceived person of TikTok. Her name is Laura High. She was donor conceived and has gone on to find a lot of information about the industry that I think that you will all find rather disgusting and riveting and like it needs reform, which we will get into. Uh, But we are super excited to bring her on this week. She is going to talk about her conception story and then really just going balls deep after she found out how how literally (laughs) (laughs) how much that industry isn't regulated how much it should be and she is also a stand-up comedian so the entire interview is sure to be delightful and she actually has a really exciting event coming up that we'd love to plug before we bring her on she does her husband i just want to throw out there is also a stand-up comedian in new york city i would die to be a fly on the wall in their house so laura is she has helped organize the first ever protest for donor conceived people it will be in new orleans on october 15th out of the it's like the um conference or the it's the conference for the american society of reproductive medicine they are responsible essentially for the lack of legislation or um Um, just activism in the donor conceived community and they have never had a donor conceived person on the panel (laughs) at this uh conference so laura is going to be she's she will be there on october with 15th with bills on she's have just put so much effort into the organization of it please is she it's it's imperative that there are as many uh people there as possible in support of her uh abc news abc is going to be there televising it um so if reach out to laura we will of course plug her socials and she is so so diligent about like responding to every single thing that she gets on social media which is amazing in and of itself and we cannot wait to support her in this Endeavor. So again, October 15th, New Orleans, donor conceived people protest, be there or be square. Yes. And showing further support with her, we are happy to welcome her to the Luke, who is your father's stage, to tell her own story. Without further ado, here is Laura High. We are here with Laura. Hi today. Laura, welcome to Luke, Who Is Your Father. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Very excited to be on. Thank you for having me. How are you all doing? Of course. And thank you for coming on. I think we're doing pretty good today. We're so excited. We are so excited to have you. I have been following your content since I started making similar content. So that would have been for nine months now. Fantastic. And <laughs> just... People constantly tagging you in our content, trying to get your attention. And I was like, one day, 
one day and then it happened. I love it. I'm glad that we finally got your attention. In case you're all not familiar with Laura, she is a stand-up comic and actor. And what's taking up a lot of her time these days is being a donor-conceived advocate with her own podcast, Insemination. And she has quite the tale to tell that has led you down some deep, dark rabbit holes. <laughs> so we usually like to take it from the top. And you're calling in from your own studio in Manhattan today. I am. We are in my basement that my husband and I built. Well, if it hasn't become clear, I found Laura on TikTok. That's where she does a ton of her, well, she does great joke telling, a lot of storytelling, and a lot of her educating people, I would say, on the darker aspects of the I try to comedy industry. Sometimes it, sometimes the education uh Come, has a little bit of a bite to it, depending on what needs to be said. You have your own story to tell, which then really led you to all of the discoveries you've made and then all of the changes that you push more moving forward. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking off air, it's a different viewpoint that we've had on the podcast so far. You are by far without question, no room for argument, the most educated person that we've had on the industry on our podcast. Up till now, it's been pretty much straight storytelling. Mm -hmm. So we'd love to just kind of get into that with you starting at the beginning and then just let the rhythm take us where it will if that sounds good to you i am down hit me with your best shot what do we want to talk about <laughs> amazing so where did you grow up I grew up in Westchester County, which is about 30 minutes north of here. And my all of my parents' fertility treatments were in New York City in the 80s. They started fertility treatments in 1985. But I grew up 30 minutes north of here. Very, you know, boring suburban town. It was a very passive-aggressive upbringing. It was where I grew up. Uh, watch Stepford Wives. And instead of being like, ooh, that's like a horror movie, my town was like, how do we do that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, no. Do we, do we just watch everybody or just specific people? Like, how does this happen? I, yeah, no, I grew up, I grew up in Rye, New York specifically. Uh, if anyone knows, it's uh, the home of Playland, which is like the oldest theme park, I believe, like on the East Coast or maybe even in the United States. Yeah, it was a very, it was, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I never fit in. It was just a very instant, I never fit in. I was always the weird kid. And you, like, looking back, I'm always like, oh, no, I was a stand-up comic. That's absolutely what it was. And and in terms of, like, Westchester and Rye, where I came up with my, like, how I was, like, making jokes and trying to, like, you know, be weird and silly and goofy, was just like, that's not in style. <laughs> No, we don't, we don't, we don't do humor. No. Was it, we don't do humor or little girls don't do humor? Oh, little girls don't do humor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very buttoned up. You should be much more focused on like matching your kids to your, to your <laughs> So were you happy to be the weird kid? I'm now happy. When I was younger, I was not because all I could sense was, why don't I have friends? And it was very hard because it was, I mean, I did have some friends, but they were very like, I had very few friends. Uh, it was the friends that were just like, oh shit, she's kind of cool. Who were like, okay with being like friends with the weird kid. But it was very hard growing up because all I wanted was friends. All I wanted was siblings, actually. Specifically, I wanted siblings. I begged my parents for siblings, begged my parents for siblings. And I obviously no idea why I didn't have siblings. Now I found out, but I'm like, oh, that's why. 
my mom absolutely wanted more. So she was hoping that I was actually going to be a twin, given how much weight she gained so quickly in her pregnancy and like how much she like how much her pregnant belly like popped so fast. I think she said three months in, she was already in like full maternity garb. That's like, wow. holy mat. Yeah, that's crazy. I think she gained like about 80 pounds and she doesn't, she has no idea like if that was just her chemistry or if it potentially was like the fertility drug she was on. Well, yeah, no, no clue. But she was just like, yeah, you, you ballooned me immediately. And she was really, she was really hoping I was a twin. She really, really wanted, because she knew that like, this was it. This was the one shot. And she, she wanted lots of kids. That's, ugh, it was, there's part of it that's funny, right? Distantly funny to look back and be like, man, I was really pestering her for a sibling. And she wanted to give me one so badly. Yeah. Um, and also heartbreaking for both you and her, I'm sure. But there is a part of me that's like, oh, I'm, I think I knew they were out there. I genuinely do. And I just, in a weird little way and I just couldn't explain it and in the same way I know we're sort of jumping ahead but like I knew something was weird I knew something I was like was I adopted was I separated was I uh, switched at birth like what even though I saw pictures of my mom being pregnant I saw pictures of her like essentially giving birth and my mom and I look identical identical I, I'm a carbon we we do joke that like there wasn't a sperm donor he, they just copied and pasted um because of how much we look alike but and so like I knew something was up and so I, I'm just always wondering like did I did I just somehow know and I just was yearning for them that's my when um my parents told Kendall and I because we didn't always know about Ricky we didn't find out about her until we were eight nine and they have said several times that when they told me specifically, Ricky and I are identical, we just, we found out recently, but when they told me there was less of a surprise than they were expecting. And they've said it almost seemed like you had a feeling. So I know exactly what you mean. It's weird. Like there's just so much stuff with this that like, I, I do think that there is a lot when it comes to adoptees and donor conceived people where it's like, they, they, there is so much about the human Instinct. Right. I don't know another word that it's like, I do wish they would really put the money behind it and really study it. Yeah. Yes. We've been begging for that. So enter your parents. Are they also East Coast native? Uh, they are not actually. My parents are West Coast native uh, from Oregon and Washington. And they both ended up, my dad moved here first uh, for college. Uh, he, My dad uh, was in Yale and then uh, graduated to New York City um uh for for work and my mom ended up again you know finished up her school and ended up moving here for work as well so you obviously know that they had to go through fertility treatment but it it seems like that's not something that you found out about until later so tell us about your paradigm growing up your reality well actually i did know at a very young age my parents struggled with I that was the thing that they did tell me they were like yep we struggled for three years which is why I kind of always tell people if you know your parents struggle with fertility like they told you you were IVF or they they really struggled that might be their opening way to start the conversation and lay the groundwork or that's their way of telling you without telling you because my parents told and I've heard that like across the board with so many donor conceived people they're like I knew I was IVF I just didn't know I was donor conceived or I did know my parents struggled with fertility, but I just didn't know that it was donor conception was the, you know, the end result. So, I mean, I, in grade school, I knew my parents struggled with fertility for three years. That was, I completely knew that. 
I also knew my uh, my my father's first marriage adopted my half sister, and I never knew why, but I just knew that they adopted her. So like there was definitely some breadcrumbs laid laid there as well. And I you again as I said, I look like a carbon copy of my mom. There was nothing about me that looked like my dad. There was nothing. My dad and I do not look related in the least bit. Um, there is nothing about us that looks remarkably like we 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 stick out of how much we don't look alike. Do you mind me asking how how old were your parents when you were born? Uh, my mom was. She had. She was. Uh, my mom was thirty three when she had me. So that means they started fertility treatments when I, when she was 30 Mm -hmm. and then my dad then was 42. Something interesting that we've, we've noticed over our season, because we didn't set out to have a season of themes, you know (laughs) what I mean? And we have definitely had a season of themes. And I think when, if you're looking for kind of Easter eggs or things that should make you perk your ears up a little bit, I think that, um, having children a little bit older is something that we've noticed as well. Mm-hmm. And then you, so your, your dad had had kids from a, from a different marriage and then had your mom was, had she had been married before, had any kids yeah, or anything like that? Marriage. Uh, this okay. was my dad's second marriage. That's what we're seeing a lot too. I mean, it doesn't, I don't think there's any through line there insofar as why the parents had to go through fertility treatment, but I would say 50% of the dads mm-hmm. that we've heard about <laughs> had a previous marriage and previous children in that marriage but my sister was adopted so was right. not yes um uh, and that should have been I, I thought she was adopted for a different reason i had no idea that she was adopted because my dad was completely infertile mm-hmm. so you thought then that was a half sister yes so she, okay. she is my half sister but we are not biologically um but i knew at a very young age that my sister was adopted that was always made that that i always knew mm-hmm. and again my sister and i look exact opposite i'm five five my sister's six foot she is a gorgeous bombshell blonde six foot blonde hair all legs blue eyes like we do not look like uh, I, you know. couldn't be me stunning <laughs> <laughs> model 80 80 baby, 80s baby basically she was gorgeous absolutely stunning still still is a beautiful beautiful woman to this day but yeah total blonde blonde bombshell so as you're talking about really wanting yearning for siblings what was your relationship like with her well she she was 15 years uh, sorry she is 15 years older than Yep. So um, when I was born, very a couple of years after I got, uh, so we we never like lived together. I think we lived together maybe a year, maybe two, um, but we didn't grow up together. Right. We had very different upbringings, very different upbringings, and most of the majority of my life, uh, she lived on the west coast. Uh, there was a part chunk of my life where she lived on the East Coast, but very, very little. The majority of it, she was always West Coast and I was always East Coast. And yeah, no, I mean, and we and, and we just have and we are just very, very different people. You know, she was the cool kid and I was incredibly annoying, <laughs> utterly, utterly obnoxious. How was your relationship with your parents? So my my relationship with my parents, it like I was always exceptionally close with my mom. That was there immediate from birth. Always there, so close with my mom. My dad, there was always a distance. 
him and I didn't really actually start bonding till I was probably in high school was kind of when him and I really started to actually have conversations and actually get to know each other. And then so so then in high school, we, we started bonding. Unfortunately, when I was in high school, though, my parents got divorced. So things were getting very tumultuous in my in my family life. But even despite of it, despite that him and I were he was really trying hard to bond with me during that time, which I really appreciate. We would always just like bond in the car listening to music theater. But that really, really didn't kick in until I was about 14. Did you clock when you were younger and you guys weren't as close? Did you clock that? Was it something that you felt strongly about? Or is it only in reflection that you noticed that? Or written where you like, this is just how dads are. I think it for me was just how dads were. That's how I mean, it didn't strike me as odd because it seemed like all the dads were that way. Yeah. It back to the Stepford wives. <laughs> yeah. It didn't like to me, it was like all, yeah, the dads all go to work. I mean, my mom was a working woman as well. My mom is uh, an incredible businesswoman, but, and that was a big difference that she had, but, but she had a job that she could also be a full-time mom as well. Yeah. No, that, that it didn't strike me as weird in the least bit all you know to me i grew up in a place where it was like yep all dads walk off the train station Mm -hmm. they all come home and that is what happens Mm -hmm. a little bit and then they go to bed does it seem like the divorce is actually what almost made you guys closer because he i don't know if there was a fear there and he was he was making more of an effort specifically because your parents uh, were getting divorced I think it added to it really what it was, honestly, a big piece of it was he was, this is going to sound a lot more negative than it really is. He was forced to spend more time with me. And I know that sounds weird, but what happened starting when I was 14 was my dad was um, in between jobs. And so he was doing the pickups from school. Right. Whereas, and, and during that time, my mom's career was like exploding. Um, she was just becoming incredibly successful at that moment. And so my dad was picking me up from school, picking me up from debate, uh, driving me to horseback riding lessons or, um, uh, picking me up from debate or driving me to debate. He was like, so he was the one and it was literally, and like, and that was before my parents separation hit and just sitting in the car with him for half hour, 45 minutes, an hour a few times every week, we just were like, well, I guess we're going to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like, dude. Um, and it was, and very quickly we were like, oh shit, this is like a cool person. Like yeah, I remember like the same like, oh, my dad's cool. Oh. So, how did this come from? Uh, and I, I think he kind of almost had the same thing. I'm just like, oh shit, she's, she's kind of cool. Like this is, this is neat. Um, and we, we bonded quite quickly. Um, but it was, it was because of that, that pickup time Yeah, that we, we started bonding and we bonded very quickly. In everything that you've uncovered since then, have you had a poignant conversation with him about whether he was distant or lacking interest because you were like a weird kid or because he didn't? that didn't feel that biological connection to you because you weren't biologically connected. No, it was never, it was never the biological connection. I I genuinely believe full heartedly in my case that our, I would say our distance when I was younger had nothing to do with the donor conception whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I genuinely do not believe that. 
Um, I think it was, I mean, my dad was sad that he had fertility issues. He was sad that he, that was something that his body just didn't allow him to do. It, it was sad, but, um, and I think for him, what it was, he was always a little concerned uh, for both my sister and I, because we're both not genetically related to him. There was always a concern of like, are they going to look at me differently? Are they not going to love me? He was always a he was always a little scared of, I would say, rejection. Um, but both my sister and I, you know, within easily show like, dude, no, not even a little bit. So, and that's, that's, so, that's so sweet. And I think, again, we're kind of trying identifying, you know, common themes and things that do differ. So it sounds like he, and I know we'll get to this, but he really, really wanted kids. Like he was an act when it came to this um, fertility treatment. No, <laughs> oh, oh, no, oh. <laughs> no, I well, and, and, and this is where. Yeah, no, my dad wasn't, um, I, I would say, really was wanted a kid. What is your understanding of their uh, their fertility process? How do you know? And how it's why did he go through with it? <laughs> so my both my parents had fertility issues. Both of them did. My mom, her thing was, I want kids. She was like, that. that is what is happening. I want kids. So my dad knew, like, okay, I want to be with her that that is going to happen one kid one <laughs> um and he was like i'm that that i'm done and he my dad's issues i don't know if they could be now but at the time my dad's issues could not be fixed my mom's issues could be fixed i i apologize if i'm using incorrect medical terminology but my mom got extraordinarily sick when she was going through puberty like she had like this like hospital level fever and like it was really really bad and what they found was when my mom, when they were trying to figure out like why my mom was struggling with pregnant pre with pregnancy, when it comes to like the uterus and the ovaries and everything, there are, I believe it's called flagella. Mm -hmm. And it's like these like little fingery thingies that grab the eggs. And my, yeah, basically. <laughs> and my mom's they found were completely melted together and they were flapping away all the eggs. From the oh, fever? No. The the theory is that fever, while she was going through puberty, melted them together. Jeez Louise. That's, That's what they think happened. They're not sure, but they were like, we can't think of anything else that would make sense on why mm -hmm. this happened. And so they had to do, like, with my mom, like, a full reconstruction. That is wild. I do That's need everyone amazing. who's not watching the YouTube to know that Kendall could not resist making flagella with her fingers. Yeah, it's like the surprise of not me or Julian. <laughs> it's like that. Um, it's like the turtles having a tickle fight. <laughs> my dad is now at this point, my biggest fan when it comes to donor conception content. The dude is so, so unbelievably proud. He's such a political nerd. So as soon as like he found out like I was going to like DC, I was going to the Raymore building, he was like, what the Yes. <laughs> and then he found out that I ran around the Raymore building in a sperm costume. He was just like, <laughs> that's my girl. <laughs> it was very, very sweet. Um, Like right now I'm helping in New York to get the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act passed. 
And I, it was the woman who spearheaded the bill connected me with like the two politicians who like sponsored it. So I interviewed them on my podcast and that was like really exciting. I'm really excited to share that with my, he was the first phone call that I made and he was just like, I don't think he's ever been prouder. And I literally emailed the politicians and I was like, Hey, I just want to let you know, you just made my dad so happy. He's nerding out. And Laura, who is the woman who spearheaded the bill, was like, when we get this bill passed, please know that both you and your father are there and invited to sign it in. And he is just like, yes! <laughs> that is so amazing. So, so, so excited. Incredible. So him and I have had like a journey together, but it was, but we have now gotten to a very good place. Yeah. And right. he is my biggest fan and he's so proud of all of the content I make because everybody assumes I must have this horrible relationship with him and my mom. And I'm like, no, not even. <laughs> I, I always tell, uh, one of the things is I don't think I could do what I do if I did not have the support of my parents. It would be very, way too traumatic. And I think that that's an issue for so many donor conceived people is that they are in horrible traumatic situations and they're not able to speak out. And that's why I take my speaking out so seriously because it's like I have the privilege and the emotional safety and stability to do it. And sort of going back to what we were talking about. Yes. Yeah, so my mom reconstruction, the little flagella things melted, they separated, they did the full reconstruction. My mom was on hormone therapy for like three years. And then their, her first ovulation after the reconstruction finally took. Wow. That's amazing. That's a lot. That's crazy of, that they can reconstruct. That. I know. I mean, they can. Modern medicine. Modern medicine. Well, and this was 1987. Yeah, that's a, not so modern medicine. <laughs> We've done a lot of medieval medicine. <laughs> medieval the medicine. 80s medicine. It's all lined 80s medicine. <laughs> So you were just talking about how you and your dad got closer yeah. when you were 14 because you were taking regular car rides together, which seems to be a great way to bring people together. Uh, car rides and dads, that's where they talk. Yes. They're able to control the situation because they can keep it going or stop it as soon as they can. And they don't have to look at you. Yep. I think it is, oh, really is super is important conversations in the car. Mm -hmm. Ultimate dad. At the top of the podcast, you said that you found out when you were 14, but didn't become hyper fixated until later. So it seems like 14 was a big year for you. Can you? Was. I was bonding with my dad and then he went, Hey kiddo, guess what? And I was like, well, this changes everything. It didn't. It was just, it, it wasn't a change. It was just like, Oh, everything makes sense now. Got it. I can see the matrix. Can you tell us more about that conversation? And did it happen in the car? It yes. <laughs> we were driving home from horseback riding and my dad just looks straight forward and he asked me, he was like, do you know, he was just like, Hey Laura, I have a question for you. Do you know why we adopted your sister? Do you know why? And I was like, and I told him I, uh, you know, why I think they did. And he was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, I can see why you thought that. He's like, it wasn't. He was like, you know that your mom and I struggled for Tilly. I'm like, yeah. And he was like, so a piece of that was, because I had only heard about my mom's fertility issues. I've never heard about his at this point. And he was like, well, it's because I can't really, he was like, my, I'm completely infertile. And he said, uh, and then he said, my favorite question that I will never, I will never forget. And I will always make fun of him for the rest of my life for this. He asked me, Laura, do you know how babies are made? <laughs> and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Dad, I'm fucking 14. And also, you were there when we had the talk, or were you just dadding out? 
he was like do you know what like sperm donor sperm donation is and I'm like yeah and he's like you're a sperm donor he's like we used a sperm donor um and he was like do you understand and I'm like do you understand yeah <laughs> and I think we talked and and I think it was like okay and we got home and then he must have told my mom like all right I fucking told her and my mom she's like so your dad said that you guys had a big conversation <laughs> how are we doing like you know Get you oh, talked about him batting how she full mommed out. And I was just like, yep. And she was like, do you need to talk about it? And I'm like, nope. She did the smart thing. She secretly called my sister and she was like, you need to call your sister now because she was, because because my sister's adopted, like there could be an understanding. And my sister found out that she was adopted way later than she should have. Uh, way, way late. And so very, very, and I, it was a very, like, it was a smart move. Like, I think both my parents knew that like, this is way too much for her to talk to us about. Yeah. We need to bring in the bigger sister. And so they, they called up my sister. They were like, call her. And so my sister called me and she was like, so how are you feeling? And I'm like, fine. I, I, I don't remember. I don't, I really don't think it was saying, I was like, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. Weird. I do appreciate like my, that my parents were doing that move. Like they were really trying hard and I, I appreciated that. But I was really, honestly, I was okay. I, it was not, I was not heartbroken. I was not, it wasn't this devastating thing for me. It really, it genuinely was like, I fucking knew it. <laughs> yeah. I knew something was off. Like, I think probably that validation. Was, yeah, I, I, for me, it was just this ultimate validation of like, I fucking knew I wasn't crazy. I knew, like, that was really what it was for me. Because I, I was like, I, always thought something was off and it was just suddenly just like i know everything i am omnipotent <laughs> um, it really wasn't it to me the effects of being donor conceived have come in waves throughout my life it has been a long-term thing and it's why like you know anybody who discovers their donor conceived they're like yeah it's fine and i'm like just wait just fucking wait okay you, you yeah. have to, you're not gonna understand being donor yep most likely until you're older like chill the fuck out like and it's like cool that you feel that way right now like I totally get it I did that too uh but it wasn't until I was 19 was I remember it was like my roommate at the time friend at the time was like aren't you worried about like genetics I'm like what do you fucking mean he was like well like cancer it's genetic like you could have a genetic predisposition to cancer aren't you worried about it and I was like oh shit your friend sounds really fun <laughs> <laughs> were you surprised to hear that your dad uh played a part in your sister not finding out that she was adopted until she was 12 or 13 and they still waited to pull the trigger to tell you about your donor conception until you were 14 i think the difference was and and this was something i understood was they they viewed it as very two different things and and i can understand that because to them i will and part of it was like my mom was my sister's stepmom so my mom, like that was not her place to have input, but for me, and like, they were always going to tell me always that was the plan, but when they were talking to my pediatrician and going like, when is the best time to talk to her? And they decided let's do middle school, early high school, because we have to be able to explain the physical parts of it. And she has to be old enough to understand it. And I know that at 14, that is, that is to today's standards considered a very late, a late discovery about learning that your donor conceived, but I'm 35 years old. The fact that one, my parents told me it all is a fucking miracle 
The fact that they told me at 14 is insanely progressive. The fact that they told my pediatrician is a downright miracle. So my parents were, especially because of my sister's story, knew they were going to tell me. Like that was always going to happen. And I and they and they made that decision, I think, largely in part of this was so unfair to my sister. We have to make sure that we deliberately tell her. But they looked at it from a very different perspective, thinking that this is different. But obviously in today's standards, you always tell the child it is always part of their story. And I do believe that if I was donor conceived today, my parents would absolutely have done that. That just there was no precedent was really no guidance. There was nothing for them. They were making it up from the best that they could. And given their time, I mean, they were like insanely progressive. I'm really glad that you just said that. We really took the time at the beginning of this season to evaluate because as you get further and further into the community, people have different experiences. And there are a lot of people who think that at any point in time, the secret is the worst thing that happened to them, right? So we were like, we can't talk about this without really taking time to reflect if that's something that any of us are angry about, because we didn't feel angry. (laughs) And then we all sat and reflected because there were different secrets. Mine was donor conception. Theirs was that I existed. (laughs) I can't imagine what that the mind that all was. (laughs) Yeah, but and then we took stock at the beginning of the season to say, well, if we're going to be responsible about this, we need to be able to say, hey, we've acknowledged that in your eyes, we were lied to. And we took the time to think about that. And I never thought about the difference Mm -hmm. uh, in in time, like at just for their age and the information that they have. And the landscape that they saw and any precedent that they had set they because uh, we just firmly believe that they did the best that they could and i'm it, it makes sense that we fall on the same side of the coin of that in terms of it was around the same time and they were doing the best with the tools that they had it does oh, yeah. also make sense because like i think ricky found out um that she was donor conceived at 13 or that we were <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think we kind of thought of that as like a really hard time because it's like formative teen Mm -hmm. angsty years and stuff. But I guess it does really make sense that a parent would want you to know about all the bells and whistles and stuff. Yeah, or else what the fuck would you even think they were saying? (laughs) I guess it makes sense to have it sort of in line with the birds and the bees discussions because of the subject material. So you're 14. I'm 14. You go through the rest of your middle school and high school experience having this uh, piece of information that you didn't have before. Did it change your relationship with your dad at all? Yeah, I don't know. That's great. Do you, would you be able to look back and point out any sort of uh, behaviors or outlooks that changed because of it? Or did you pretty much keep on being the same kid that you would have overall? Um, no, I really think that I was the same kid. I really do. And that was the case until college when like I had that that friend who was like, do you ever worry about fucking genetics? And it did get me thinking of going, shit. And I kind of and it was it was the first time when thinking about it, I allowed myself to be curious about my donor. I allowed myself to be and I think that that's something that's very common with donor conceived people is we do not allow ourselves to be curious because I think just instinctively we know I have to protect the parents. Yeah, I have to. And you just, it's incredible. Like it really is like, you know, everybody online is like, why aren't you just grateful to be a lot? Like, you know, everybody just gives a shit all the time. Like you want grateful. And I'm like, I have never met such a conscious group of people 
like donor conceived people. They are aware of the entire family's feelings about this immediately. And they are consistently thinking about not just their family, also the donor's family. Right. They are so and and fuck their own feelings. They know that it is bottom of the to- they instinctively know that. And it sucks because out of anyone in the situation, they are the only one who didn't decide this. Yet they are taking the most responsibility for emotions and feelings. And I'm I think that's so poignant and such a I think that resonates with all of us. And then there's almost like a guilt yeah. that comes from a few different directions. I mean, I think I like, you know, later on, I would say it like during college time, I just had questions about how it happened. And like my mom would share particulars that were like insane to me. But it wasn't until because once I finally really started allowing myself to be curious and really thinking about like, oh, shit, like there is like an impact on my genetics. Mm -hmm. I decided you know what I, I want to try my and try and find my donor okay let, let's do this and so at 19 I remember I was at college and I knew my parents fertility doctor and I was like fuck it let's just call him. I'm gonna call him I'm gonna ask him who my donor is how do I get this information I'm gonna ask about health records and and all this stuff and I was like okay and I didn't think that much like didn't really think hard because I called and I just was like, I'm going to make up his name. But I was, I, I called up the office, nurse picked up and she was just like, hello, Dr. Smith's office. And I'm like, hi, I, I would like to speak to Dr. Smith. Yes, who's calling a, a patient of his. Okay, what's your name? And I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> and I, I basically was like, my name is Laura High. Tell him I'm Jane Doe High's daughter. He will know who I am. And the reason I felt confident about that is because my mom told me my parents were his very first patients. Oh, not just his first, his clinics, first patients like this was so and what a nice success for them. (laughs) Right. And so and also with the way that like, do you guys know how my conception happened? No, yours personally did like how mine personally happened. Please tell us all. It's my favorite story. So picture it. 1987, (laughs) New York City. Nothing but shoulder pads and hairspray and a dream. And my mom just had full reconstruction surgery. And at this point, they had tried donor conception multiple times. I asked her like how many times she was like, I don't know, fucking double digits at this point. And like, we knew we were like running, running down. And so she did the reconstruction and ovulating. And she was like, great, can we schedule an appointment for me to come in? And he was like, oh, too bad you're ovulating on a holiday weekend, which also happened to be uh, the Jewish New Year. And so the clinic was closed. And my mom was like, no. (laughs) Because you have to understand, my mom was on fertility drugs for three years. This is painful. It fucks with you mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and if she's ovulating for the first time, I can only imagine that that is a totally new yeah, it's experience. I can't imagine like what. So this is something where it's like for my mom, like I understand she was in a different mental space at this point, and I and I get what was going on. But she basically was like, "Doctor, no, you're gonna fucking figure <laughs> this. Unacceptable. Out. You are going to make this happen. Make it the fuck happen." And my doctor instead, like I, I don't. I would love to know why he went with this option over literally any other fucking option he could have thought of. But he basically told my mom, don't worry about it. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to get someone, your donor, to drop off the sperm at a hotel concierge desk. You're going to go pick it up and inseminate it with your husband. Like turkey baster it? Yeah. Yeah, syringe it inside. (laughs) Um, Oh my God. And... 
I'm like, and this was fresh fucking shit. Like this isn't frozen. And this is always the thing that gets me. This was fresh. This was yes. fresh. There yes. was, no, and the, the clinics were closed. So there was no way they, the STD tested the dude that day. So my mom was getting raw unhinged fucking sperm. <laughs> New York City in the 80s. So it's like, oh my God, mom, do you understand how fucking dangerous that was? He only realizes it now. And she's just like, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> do we have insight into like how your doctor picked out that particular guy and how that conversation went? So we don't. I can only, I have pieces of information. Okay. The hotel that was picked is like two blocks away from my donor's office, who is also an OBD wife. It's like, who's closest? And my donor was donating already, like he had already donated six years prior. And we know that they were like, at least they knew each other. They were friends, colleagues. Um, they, they like were at the, the residence at the same hospital. Like they were, their offices were called in a paper. <laughs> like they, 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 we, so this was something where, and my mom was like, I always got the sense he was going to call a friend. Like that was always like, that was what he kind of was like communicating with me. Like I've got to <laughs> Um, I got, I got, yeah, I've got, I've got my sperm man. And so my donor, daddy donor donated and dropped it off at the hotel. Now we don't know if it was him or if it was an assistant. My mom said that she saw somebody walk in and drop it off. And she was like, I don't know who's was the donor. Who was this? Like, I don't know. She was, she was like, I assume it was him. She was like, I have to believe it was him. Uh, Cause who the fuck is going to, you know, but we honestly don't know. And I always love to think about like that hotel, the concierge. The concierge. Because <laughs> I mean, if your mom saw them drop it off, then it's truly like someone's coming in and handing her something. Someone's coming right back in and taking it out of her. And so she's got to be like, the concierge must be like, what's shady shit? <laughs> like, I must, I mean, it really does make me feel like it was a drug trade. And then my favorite part is my mom took the sperm and she tries. So, you know, again, she's trying to mom things up. And she tells me, she's like, Laura, I took the sperm. I tucked it into my pants so that I would keep it warm. And I, temperature, and I kept it close to me. And then I whisked off to your father's office and that's where you were made. And I'm just like, hold the phone. Hold on, wait. Hang on. The clinic was closed because it was a holiday weekend. Yet dad was still fucking working. This wasn't a day where dad could have taken a day off. We couldn't have gone home and done this. No. And so my mom, she was, and she was just like, yeah, we did it. And because like my dad, like was, uh, my dad worked in advertisement. So of course he like had a couch and she was like, yeah, I just put my legs up on his couch and whoop, and he went back to work and I just got my legs up. And I was like, thank God he didn't get the intern to do it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) thank God it was a holiday weekend. So she could just lounge. I do. And I do love, uh, it's always full circle, um, because you know, I, uh, I was made on the Jewish new year and, uh, we found out later in life that I was, uh, 50% Ashkenazi Jewish. And my, my donor is a, a he is an OBGYN Orthodox rabbi. Moyle. That's so cool. Mm. Quality I really don't blame her given like what was mentally going on, but there is like a part of me that's like, can we have a little bit of like a moment though, where we kind of go like, maybe there was a safer option. I don't. 
but it's it's again it's so tough for recipient parents because even though like my mom looks back on it and she was like yeah we could have done that a little bit better she's still like but then you but it risks me not having you yeah mm-hmm. yeah and she was like and i would she was like i'm sorry laura but like i would choose you i choose you every yeah. single time that was kind of standard practice like 50s through the 80s where you would just call up your buddies and be like who the fuck is free i'm gonna go over to the to the med school and just fill her up um it did start to change slightly in the 90s for me we don't have a donor number we don't have a donor we got we have no we have nothing that did change a little bit in the 90s and like my parents didn't pick my donor the clinic was supposed to match a donor to my father as best they could my dad was irish and catholic and he they were uh, irish and scottish sorry and they were supposed to like find a donor that was like supposed to be that now my favorite the reason i say catholic is the clinic insisted that the number one thing that they had to match before anything else was religion oh because that's that's genetic genetic (laughs) (laughs) what Yes, I need to make sure that I get that specific Catholicism guilt. Thank you. I really want that fire and brimstone sperm. Oh my gosh. I think that takes us really, really nicely into, so you're 19 19 and trying, you're curious for the first time. So yes. So, okay. Curious call up. And I'm just, and so I tell them, I'm like, and I literally tell the, the, uh, uh, the receptionist, tell him, tell them I'm Mrs. High's daughter. I'm Laura High. He'll know who I am. And I don't remember how long it was. It wasn't a lot. It couldn't have been more than five minutes. I think it was really two minutes. I and immediately Dr. Um, again, I'm Dr. Smith called up and he was like, and I remember him going, hi. And I remember the tone of his voice was like, and I remember saying, Hello, Dr. Smith. My name is Laura. I'm Mrs. High's daughter. Do you know who I am? And I will never, this will haunt me for the rest of my life. He said in a tone that I will never forget. He said, yeah, I know who you are. And it was said in a way where the tension was filling the fucking room. Like I I remember like it was suddenly, oh, there's something here. Mm -hmm. There's something. And I remember going, I didn't even know what I was stepping into. But I remember it going like, Oh, okay. And I asked him, I was like, so I'm calling because, um, you know, found out a few years ago, I'm donor conceived and I'm interested now to see if I can find out who my donor is finding out medical history on him. Um, because you know, I'd love to know, you know, do I have a predisposition to cancers, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, like anything like that. And he said, well, he was like, I can't tell you who your donor is because he is anonymous. And unfortunately, even if I could, I couldn't tell you because the bank that we got the sperm from was a mix of doctors and medical students. And that bank uh, burnt to the ground. Uh, There's a fire. So all your paperwork is gone anyway. But I can tell you that you have nothing to worry about. Your donor's perfectly healthy. Even at 19, I was like, (laughs) there's a fire. What? supposed to take your word for it yeah and did you automatically assume the fire is dodgy because to me a fire is always yeah. dodgy uh he told me he was like he's an ivy league doctor and you're perfectly healthy you're fine that was and and i just i remember going okay i remember the fire was like and had did you know your your hotel story at this point you know what no i had to have learned about it in my early 20s because i'm thinking about it from my stand-up perspective and my writing and realize i didn't add that piece in until my early 20s so I don't think I knew about that because that wasn't in the original version of my joke. So I don't think I learned about yeah. it in my early 20s. 
Thank God for stand up. Yeah, yeah. It really is a timeline yeah. of my life. Like you can go back and, and realize like, oh, Laura's really happy. Oh, wow. She is depressed right now. Wow. Like it's, it's a great little uh, time capsule. Yeah. You have that phone call. Yeah. That's not satisfying to you at all. No, I knew it was bullshit. I didn't know what to do. Like there was nothing for me to do, but I knew it was bullshit. I remember like thinking, do I need to hire a private detective? Like I remember thinking like, this isn't what? And that did sparkle, actually, honestly, I think a little bit more curiosity because I was like, this is fucked up. Yeah. And then, like, this doesn't, I knew something was wrong. Um, now, as you guys heard how my conception went, I did not think it was possible for me to have siblings. And I had no idea of sibling pods or anything like that. I had no idea. So I did not, I had no sense that there were siblings or anything. And then we skip a few years later and then Ancestry, 23andMe's available. And we decide, okay, ready? Let's, let's fucking do it. Let's absolutely do it. And one of the, one of the things that was very curious to me was my mom was like, very like, no, they, they matched religion first and then an ethnicity. And my dad, Irish, Scottish, and Catholic. I have had people assume that I was Jewish my entire life. Specifically, I remember like 11 was when like, it was more like very much talked about in front of my face uh, where people were saying things that I was just like, no, I'm, I'm not Jewish. And it was, and it only picked up as I got older, uh, especially when I moved to New York city, the amount of people from the Jewish community who would be like, but <laughs> it was a consistent theme in my life for years. All the casting directors would send me out. I know this is going to sound horrible. This is going to sound awful, but this is real. So I'm <laughs> an actor. And the thing that I am, because like you're called in for specific types, the most specific type I was called in for the most was Holocaust survivor. <laughs> and were you still having no doubts at that point? I, at that point, I was like, okay. And I mean, I have a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I saw my, I saw my face and I was just like, Laura, you, you do a <laughs> resemblance to a lot of your classmates who invited you to your, to their bar and bar mitzvah. What we, we really started thinking was the doctor must have lied. This must have happened. We we actually what what the what we were a little worried about was because he my doctor was Jewish um, and we were concerned that did he switch it out for his own. Right. And that was because we did know that was a thing. So when we took the test, that was sort of in the back of our heads of like, oh, shit, are we going to find out that I'm a product of fertility fraud? I, I, I am. I am not. So we took the test and I was 26 and we got the test back and it was. 50% Ashkenazi Jewish. I did not expect 50%. And my mom took the test as well, does not have a lick of Ashkenazi. Not a, not a lick. And we did both Ancestry, 23andMe, exact same results. And seeing that it was 50% really hit me hard. It was like, whoa. And it was the sweetest thing because like one of my best friends is very devoutly Jewish, immediately called him to tell him. And he immediately, he first thing he did was invite me to my first Seder. Were you at that point, especially because it was such a part of your growing up, super excited about it after you got over the I was genuinely incredibly, I was beyond happy. One, it, it's, it's, there are many reasons. One, it finally was like, I could finally genetic mirror. I could finally, even though I wasn't genetic mirroring with my biological family, I could genetic mirror with like my genetic community. 
and finally see myself because there are so many of my features that are not resembled in my families. And suddenly I now, and you know, I could see myself for the first time. For those who haven't heard the term, can you break down? Is that what genetic mirroring means? Yeah, genetic mirroring is like being able to genetically see yourself and connect yourself in biological family. And it can be incredibly impactful to see yourself. And it, because it is sort of this cue of like family and this is okay. And it's a big thing with a lot of donor conceived people, a lot of adoptees, when it's like the first time you're able to genetically mirror. It's, it also like kind of is, is that sort of like incredible phenomenon that if you connect to a sibling or a family member later in life, it can be so powerful. It turns romantic in many ways because it's just so such a powerful feeling that you just have no idea what it is. And it ends up getting a little banjo-y. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's quite, yeah. Did you say banjo-y? I, a little banjo-y, yeah. <laughs> And that, so obviously really powerful for it to happen for the first time. And I don't know how much you can speak to this, but has an impact that you don't know about that you don't realize that you were missing that. I, it was the first time, honestly, when I found out that I was Ashkenazi Jewish, it was the first time I was able to, it was my first steps onto actually falling in love with the way I look. I, I was so, so happy that that was finding out that that was home. That's so beautiful. And obviously what I was hoping you would say, we talked to a lot of people where they don't know the first way to get into the house. So to be growing up in that environment and have it a door down. Literally, there there are so many donor conceived people who do find out that they are a completely different ethnicity than what they thought. And there's, they've got nowhere in their life. They have no connections to connect with it. And for me, it was... It was literally always there. So you take the test, you and your, so it sounds like your parents are finding out for the first time. They are, yeah. And I know you said you weren't a, a product of fertility fraud, but is it not for fertility fraud to be lied to about the identity? Well, I guess, the yeah. religion, I, I guess. Fertility fraud is very specifically a doctor switching out the okay. donor sperm eggs for their own or any other that they feel like. Okay, okay. Um, lying about a profile or details about the profile or details about the donor is not, that can be more like of a misrepresentation. Okay. Um, but like l- literally the amount of donor can see people who have the wrong eth- like ethnicity ancestry is like, that is like, that's so bread and butter for us. Like that's just, that's basic. I, there's a, a pod of a hundred siblings that I know who all on their, their donor profile says Italian. Their donors like Ukrainian Russia, very different. There's another pod of a hundred. Again, said Italian. Nope, uh, Irish. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you you find out about this, and how do you, f- how do your parents feel, and then what's your what's the path forward after? Yeah, uh, and did you have test? siblings on that test already? I did not have siblings yet. They came okay. in later. My parents were they didn't give a shit. They were like, okay, they they like for them they didn't give a shit. They were like, okay, like it's one of those things where. They, I, I do think for them, I think now they're looking back going like, oh, there was a pretty big lie there. Maybe we should have like, what could have that also meant? But like for my parents, like if my doctor had been honest with them and said like, look, we have no Irish Scottish donors, but I have a donor who's Ashkenazi Jewish. Would you like that? My parents would have been like, fuck yeah, load her mm-hmm. up. Hell yeah. Like they, they wouldn't have given a shit. Um, would not have cared. And I think the only difference is knowing my parents, they probably would have made 
the Jewish culture even more accessible to me than it already was. Like, and it was already extremely, you know, accessible at my, at, at my, throughout my entire life. But other, they, they, they didn't give a shit. They're like, okay, cool. Yeah. And what a testament to them to, to yeah. feel like that's how they would have, the, how they would have approached that. So then what ha- So I took the test when I was 26. And then when I was 29, we got a hit. It was the cousin of my donor. And it was really sweet. My mom and her and I all went out to dinner together. And it was very, she was really cool. Uh, and it was like, we kind of sat down. She was like, well, you have three options. It could be the guy who was my donor, his brother or his father. And we were like, oh shit. And we kind of like sort of did the math on the timing. And then we realized, no, no, it's definitely my donor. Looking back, she was being really political about it. And she just was like, um, yeah, I haven't really spoken to him in decades. And I was just like, oh. And she just very was like, yeah, he's just not the nicest. She was trying very mm-hmm. hard. And that's how I learned, like, he's an OBJYN, uh, Rabbi, Moyle. That's how I learned he he has two kids. And that was like, oh, my God, I have a brother and a sister out there. Holy shit. And I was able to look him up and look at his face for the first time. And I was like, shit, that's my, my biological father. First time I've ever looked at my biological and it's such a weird feeling looking at a biological parent for the first time it's so interesting but i did very quickly figure out what she was talking about because i went onto his facebook which he's now blocked me on by the way and the dude is racist as fuck and he is he's not nice first and foremost you said you're a carbon copy of your mom so did you see any outstanding resemblance to him no not really. He looked more like me than my dad. When I saw a picture of his daughter, I was like, oh, that I can see. So no outstanding resemblance to him. And then obviously seeing the things that he posted on his Facebook. What does it mean to you that he's not a nice person insofar as how you think about yourself? It was sad. Well, and it's always like, I think it is a little bit of a, I think it's a very normal thing that's sort of shattered for donor conceived people because it's been built up for us that like, oh my God, it's this generous person. It's this hero. And then you find out like this fucking asshole, actually. This was an asshole who doesn't give a shit about, he just wanted a pay. Like he doesn't, he doesn't care at all. Like at all. And that's just something empathetically I don't understand. I cannot for the life of me understand ever knowing you have biological children out there who are as much biologically yours as the children you had naturally with. And you're not fucking curious at all that like, we're okay. I wrote him a letter. I literally dropped it off at his office with a secretary. And I have since also written him an email just asking for medical history. That's literally it. He has been asked for medical history. Literally, like, please sign anything you want. We legally can't get anything from him anyway. Like that, that's just legally not in our power. But we will still sign something if that just makes you feel better. Just want medical history. That's it. And the fact that like, he's a doctor and is still not willing to do that is like, fuck you, man. Yeah, it's very weird. It's like, it feels like it goes against first do no harm a little bit. And, and everybody always is like, well, he doesn't owe you anything. Like you owe him gratitude. I'm like, I don't know him shit. I don't know this dude. Absolute fucking shit. In fact, he should be thanking me because I bought him his pack of beer. I'm the reason he got a new TV set. Right. What? Like I owe him nothing. He looked at me as a transaction and a transaction only. I don't owe him shit. Yeah. Sorry. Like that is just not in my, no. And I have actively been as respectful as I can. And I, 
very as much as I can. And like, you know, after I sent the second e- the the second email to him, uh, he's now officially blocked me on Facebook and everything. Like I wouldn't check. Like he has blocked me everywhere. If I really wanted to, like, like you think that's gonna stop me? Fair point. No. <laughs> what are you even trying to do? Like that's so that's so baby. Like, yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's like meant to hurt you more than it is to protect himself. I would feel like at this point, like given my platform is like, dude, I've not named you. I have no plans of naming you. I've publicly said I'm never going to name you. So like, come on, man. Like I'm actually like helping, like I'm doing you the favors, which I owe nothing for. Is it illegal or just against your morals to say, if you don't give me my medical history, I will let everyone know who you are. Legally, I'm not sure to be honest. Like it could be taken as blackmail. Yeah. So I don't know the laws around that. I mean, it wouldn't be defamation because it's it's true. We right. Can prove it. We can absolutely prove it. And yeah, the, the that would be the only thing is I don't know in terms of like laws with blackmail or anything. I, I just don't know. So then I was 29 and 30. I got an email from a from a woman and she's like, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I think we're sisters. And I was like, What? And I was like, I have a sister. She was like, you actually have three. Me and my full sister are both donor conceived from the same donor. And I've already found another sister in Seattle. And I'm like, holy shit. Oh my God. And then uh, last year I found a brother. How was that? It was. So when we talk about genetic mirroring, me and the brother, we look exactly alike. Like that is like very clearly, this is my brother. And he has photos of like his two kids look like our other sisters exactly so you have how many you have how many in total four four so far but when i talked to like other when i first sort of like um sort of entered the atmosphere we found out like because we could sort of do a gauge of like you know okay so so far here is our eldest sister um she was conceived she was born in 1983 she had to be conceived in 1982 i was conceived in 1987 born 1988 we did a background check on him, found out he started med school in 1982. So we're like, okay, probably he started in 1982 then. But mm-hmm. he was donating actively for at least six years. And because he was a med student and then an OBGYN, he had phenomenal access. So I've been warned that I need to prepare myself for having over 50 siblings. Jesus. We're piecing this together as we gain more and more information. So, and then it's four, not counting his children. No, four donor conceived, two, uh, myself, bro, sister. Oh no, sorry. Five of us, five donor conceived siblings. And then he is two natural. So he, at the moment we, we, seven of us total, but given the fact that he donated actively for six years, they're like, no, you need to be prepared way for way more than that. Have you taken the time to meet your siblings so the sister who initially contacted me we talk fairly regularly we have not been able to meet yet she has unfortunately had some pretty severe medical issues which is why i sent him the second email of going like dude and she also sent him an email of going like dude we need medical i would only go to like demon level of chaos of like i'm gonna fucking name you is if she's in the hospital and the doctors are like, we can't figure out what the fuck is going on. We need family medical history. Then I would absolutely mm-hmm. pull the emergency hash. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's, and it, that is unfathomable it's, it's, yeah. to me that he could hear that one time and not want to give it over. That is so bizarre. I don't. Yeah, it's evil. 
It's evil. In his <laughs> profession, it's yeah. evil. Very easy that it's oh, like we'll find another sibling and who's just going to be just out for blood. And, yeah. uh, and I can understand why. There's so many reasons. And just I have you all kind of agreed that the more when as you stumble across more siblings, you will divulge to them who they're. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they have the right to know. I will happily give them all the information and be like, here it is. Here's everything you need to know. What is your theory behind why he's not doing this? Is it truly like a, just a power trip to know I, that other people don't know? What is it? I'm going to assume, which is so common, is his family doesn't know. And he's like, they cannot ever know. And him like handing over these records is in essence admitting yeah. that I am acknowledging that I am oh, your father. He yeah. hasn't acknowledged yeah. it, I suppose. Okay, well, yeah. that makes more sense. Did these events play out? Like this is what lit the fire under your ass because it's very unjust. It's what did it? Finding out, because as I said earlier, the only thing that I wanted was siblings as a child. That was it. And now I found I have siblings and they were taken from me my entire fucking life. And I remember my sister said it the best. She was like, because it was instant, the bond that her and I had. It was instant. And she was like, we could have had each other our entire lives. That was stolen from us. And that made me so angry. That opportunity was taken. And I started talking to some experts about like, how is this even fucking possible? And that's when I started to learn like, wait a minute, there's no sibling cap? What? So I started making videos about basically me learning um, and sharing it and being like, I'm going to find my siblings. And that's how my, I would say my online presence about this really started was it was all about a journey about me finding my siblings and learning about donor conception on the way, but it was really focused on finding my siblings. But in that journey, learning how fucked up this industry is and connecting to other donor conceived people and hearing their stories was like, this is a flaming pile of red flags and just bullshit oh my god and it hyper fixated and that was it 30 at 30 years old that was it was suddenly like i i can't look away i have to understand what this is i have to understand this now how is this possible so you haven't had the chance to meet your sister that you really instantaneously bonded with have you met the others and no, is everyone interested in that or is it just some of you they have no interest right now okay. not emotionally not in that space to do it. So far, I am the only one of my siblings who was purposely told by their parents. The rest of them all found out accidentally. Holy shit. All uh, over the I'll do it. Is that hard for you? Because, like, you just wanted siblings and, like, they don't really... Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's really hard. It's hard. My brother is, like, we live close. Mm -hmm. I could go meet him. Very yeah. That's hard knowing that I can't do that and knowing that that's just not what he wants right now, even though I don't know them personally, they're still my siblings and I just want them to be okay. And if that means we're not going to have communication for a year, five years, 10 years, forever, then I'm going to respect that. I really hope that they change their mind, but it is what it is. I think it's super unfortunate that you haven't been able to meet each other for the reason that you haven't been able to meet each other. We have plenty of time insofar as everyone has as much time as they have, I suppose, plenty of time that you know about. But um, all I wanted in my youth was to, to meet them because I knew that they were out there and they didn't know that I was out there. So I so feel for you in that 
respect. And I just can't imagine. I'm imagining it weighs on you every single day, but I am really excited for you to have the opportunity. And I can't wait to hear how it actually goes because it is a life-changing experience. I am. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I am counting the days down. I have no, I'm sort of like trying really hard not to imagine what it's going to be like, because I have a sense that it's like, it's going to be something that I can't even begin to imagine. I, yeah. And I'm, but thank you. I'm, I'm very, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully soon, girl. (laughs) Hopefully soon. I have high hopes for it. It's good. Obviously I'm, we've all heard a million times. It's good to go in with no expectations. I think the, uh, experience of meeting a sister is a lot different from meeting like a parent Mm -hmm. in these circles. So I have high hopes for you. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) And just to round us out, we know that you've learned so much about the industry, like an inordinate amount. Uh, And we want to end with like all of the things that you've been up to and the things that you want people to know. But if you could give us like top five or top 10 red flags that you've discovered or not so fun facts. Um, I mean, so the, Fertility industry, most unregulated branch of medicine. And this is a multi-million dollar industry. And however bad you think it is, it always gets worse. It is filled with sexual assault, racism, eugenics, just the exploitation, commodifying of children, um, leaving children to, to fucking die. It's horrible. And there's no reason for it. It's literally just a bunch of greedy CEOs who don't give a shit uh, and a bunch of people with God complexes. Definitely for me, number one is fertility fraud is getting fertility fraud passed. As we mentioned before, fertility fraud is when a doctor switches out the chosen donor uh, DNA for their own or any other that they feel like. And so right now we are working very hard to get fertility fraud passed nationally. Right now it's only passed in 11 states. Because essentially, if you if you are a victim of fertility fraud or you're a product of fertility fraud in a state where it is not passed, it is exceptionally beyond hard to get any form of justice. It's not that it's impossible, but you might be out of fucking luck depending on what state you're in. What? How common is this? Because I think when people hear this, obviously we have the Our Father, which was a, mm-hmm. a bomb drop. But I, how common is fertility fraud? It's way more common than we'd like to think about because yeah. 17% of the United States population has taken a, a commercial DNA test like 23 and in ancestry. And that's how we have found for doctors who committed fertility fraud. We've already found 70 doctors. Oh my God. We found 70 doctors already who have done that. It's a lot. And, and DNA testing has been out since what, 2000? Not that long. I don't know, but not long. And especially the ability to like connect with DNA relatives. I'm not right. sure, but not long. And we've already found 70 doctors. And so like, and so basically all of these doctors, these lab techs, these nurses have literally just watched doctors get the fuck away with it. They've literally just watched the community band together behind the doctor. There's no, there's nothing stopping a doc, there's like, there's no incentive for a doctor to stop because the thing about fertility fraud, because people are always wondering like, how the hell do these doctors get away with it? And it's like, fertility fraud is different than any other kind of medical fraud. Because like, let's hypothetically say you, you had a surgery and they left a sponge in you. You're going to find that out pretty quickly. You're going to find that out really fast. 
fertility fraud, you're not going to find it out until 20, 30, 40 years later. It makes it very hard. And it's like kind of like the rules of fraud are like, how the fuck do we process this? Right. What do we do? And one of actually the biggest problems is most prosecutors don't want to prosecute it. They just really don't want to do it because prosecutors are voted in by their community and their community typically always really protects these dogs and they know they'll lose their job. So most prosecutors just absolutely just don't do it. That's why it's important for us to, for the fertility fraud legislation federally to criminalize it. So it's the prosecute, so it's a different prosecutor and it's the people who are appointed, not voted in. That alone will make a huge difference. The other piece about getting fertility fraud passed and this kind of relates back to the to the years is in most states where it's it's again the time difference just makes it really really hard so in some states even where fertility fraud is passed you have a year upon discovery to bring charges up but as we all know you might not find your siblings for five years it's really hard to do that and to really make a solid fertility fraud case you have to sort of show how many times you did this and so the fertility fraud federal legislation would make it a 10 year nationally that you would have and it's just like, again, it, it's like, it, it, it's like, and then the states that don't have it passed, like, even if you have like a really good lawyer, depending on what state you're in, you just, you're, you're fucked. Because yeah. in some states, it might only be, and like, again, fertility fraud isn't, and I'm saying like fertility fraud isn't passed. So you're looking for a, a lawyer who can maybe make something crafty and figure something out. Can we go into the consumer laws? Can we do medical fraud? Can we do rape? Can we do sexual assault? It would be sexual assault by deception. And there are many states where like you can't, that's not considered a crime. So that's out of the way. There's other states where they won't go forward with it because the victim uh, uh, most likely would be like the mom who would have the procedure done to her. And only the mom is allowed to go after the doctor, not the father, not the other partner, not the donor conceived person. It's, it's such a mess. So that's why we need to make it federally illegal and criminalize it so that we have kind of like a package way of actually and bringing fertility fraud up to in some ways like the same sort of platform and pillar that other forms of fraud are, are on because mm -hmm. it, it should be yeah so that would be a big one the other one would be sibling caps the fact that so federally there's no sibling cap in the united states Colorado last year, um, specifically by the Donor Conceived Council, got a sibling cap put in. And they also made Colorado the first open ID state mandatory at 18. Um, so all donors, so it's basically all, all donors will be known to the donor conceived people. Once that donor conceived person hits the age of 18, they will get the identity of their donor. And the sibling cap in Colorado is 25 families. That's still a fuckload. That's still a lot, but it's at least something. And that means like a donor is only allowed to donate to 25 families. Okay. But each of those families could have two kids and that's a 50 sibling pod. Like that is still stupid. That's way too much. Accidental incest is a very, very real problem. Siblings, like we know plenty of siblings who went to school with each other, were each other's childhood best friends, dated the same person. A sibling, sibling one had a crush on sibling two. It's a, because it, it's a very real problem. Also anonymity getting banned. Anonymity is just inherently unethical. There are so many countries that have banned anonymity, uh, such as the UK, Germany, Sweden, Australia, New Zealand, Netherlands, and Norway. Even the UN is like, everyone has the right to know who their biological parents are. So even the UN backs this up. And anonymity is just inherently dangerous and unethical. One, just emotionally, as I said, everyone has the right to know who their biological parents are. That's just it's a, a ridiculous thing to deny. And it's ridiculous that we have a system in place that systematically separates that. And on, on top of which, the anonymity allows the industry to get away with horribly unethical activity, such as fertility fraud 
such as the sibling caps, falsified documents, falsified medical history, the amount of donor conceived people who get false medical histories and literally can like cost them their lives or give them a or put them in this diagnostic hell loop for the most of for the for their lives there's a donor conceived person i know and her pod is very sick like physically they they all have massive ailments and i believe what she told me was by the time she was 15 years old she had 13 surgeries it's it's horrible so then that would lead me so so the idea of anonymity being banned and being able to have that consistent relationship and communication with the donor to be able to have constant medical updates is huge. Like that is life-saving shit. And that's been a a big issue that donors have also seen as well because they've tried contacting the clinics and the cryobanks and been like, I have literally, I've been diagnosed or my sister has been diagnosed with a fatal genetic illness, literal fatal. I need you to tell these families and the clinics and cryobanks will not pass it on. So just to clarify, so you can take us home, you're not against people conceiving through donors, you just are calling for way, way more regulation. regulation. Yes, I, I I think donor conception can be a wonderful tool to build a family, I really do. And I do believe that it can be wonderful if it was ethical and it was donor conceived centered, which it just is painfully not certainly in the United States. And I, yeah, I want it to work. I would love to see it work. I mean, look, unless I see a scientific study that proves to me that no matter what donor conception is not ethical, I will continue to fight for donor conception to be available. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless I find out donor conception is like literally physically dangerous and there is just no way to eth- to safely ethically do it, then we can have that conversation across that bridge. But I, I see no such proof as of right now. Yeah, I absolutely want donor conception to work. I really, really do. So we've done sibling caps, anonymity. I also want to see mandated verification of medical histories. Because as we said, these are typically like 19-year-olds coming in and they're like, yo, fill out your family's medical history. Um, And they're like, okay. But then they're like, oh, I shouldn't mention that my mom had breast cancer because I really want that 1400 bucks. They're purposely going to. Okay, cool. (laughs) Whatever. Y'all. Y'all. Yo, it's rush week. I gotta go. They yeah. also could be donor conceived. And they could not even know. Oh god, I'm sure donor conceived people have donated. And so then what ends up happening is they the donors lie about their medical history, which we have found. And that becomes the only scrap of something. And he, and we've also found donor conceived people who have connected with their donors have shown them the donor profile and they've been like, I didn't write that. That's wrong. Like I did not write that. And definitely clinics and cryobanks have taken some um, creativity license apparently with some of the donor profiles, taking a little liberty with it. And there needs to be some mandate, something. The other piece about it that I really do genuinely believe is we, we also need anti-discrimination laws to protect donors. Uh, right now, as of last year, 2% of active donors were Black. That's it. Uh, Washington posted a full article on it. Highly suggest reading it. Um, in 2023, I believe it is up to 5%. 
And we've had plenty of donors of color have come forward being like, I was turned away from being a donor and I don't know why, because I'm literally exactly what they're looking for. And there are plenty of recipient parents of, of color who are like, I can't find a fucking donor that matches my religion, my, my partner's ethnicity background, our family's ethnicity background, and they are forced to use a white donor. What does that sound like? Exactly. Um, so there needs to be anti-discrimination laws in place to protect donors because that it's just, it's ridiculous. And I do think what we need to do is change the way on how we look at donors, because we really are attracting the wrong people. We are attracting people who are just very much in it for themselves, narcissistic intentions. We need to be attracting altruistic donors right now. So there's no guidelines. The only screening that is required federally by the FDA is an STD test. That's it. Everything else like genetic testing and anything that is a guideline that ASRM puts out uh, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And these clinics and cryobanks don't have to follow any of them. Now, ASRM guidelines say that like you need to turn away donors who have X, who have Y, who have Z, who blah, blah, blah. and I think that that's dumb. I think that that's not the right way to do it. In my personal opinion, because again, we got to take we got to take the eugenics out of it. We should not be turning away donors for their own medical issues um, or genetic or genetic um, mutations that run in their family. We really shouldn't be. Where the money and the focus should be on is full disclosure. The family, because it's it always is like they don't understand. Families, what they're looking for is you typically almost always a carbon copy as close as you can get to the non-genetic parent. That's what they want. And so in my opinion, what the focus should be on is donors who are able to provide a full medical history, that they are willing to be like, yep, here's my HIPAA waiver, go contact all of my doctors, here you go. That is who we should be going after. Donors who are comfortable with full disclosure. We also need donors who are comfortable with no anonymity and who are like, yes, I am willing to have communication, maybe even seeing the kid a little bit here and there. 100%. Those are the right fucking donors. That's who we need to be going after. Now, I say this as somebody who is, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I do absolutely fully believe that like there needs to be a panel of geneticists, of doctors, of people on ethics committees, people who are literal historians and understand eugenics far better than I, really like d- making like really deciding what ethically is the best. But as far as I've been able to talk to with geneticists and everybody, we, we have to stop turning away donors for genetic differences. It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not where we should putting the emphasis on. It should be on full disclosure. And then the parents get to consent to the donor and go, I want donor A or I want donor H. And they have full disclosure and consent. I yeah. would also really want to see clinics making it easier for to bring in known donors, like friends and family members, like a family member. I mean, like like your brother-in-law or something like that. I do think that they should be making it much easier um, as a way to also combat the Facebook groups of donors, which are just oh God, rotten serial donors, and they're just they're really nasty and gross. Yeah, there's just there's there's a lot. Yeah. 
but that's that's my that's my start <laughs> well thank you and thank you for the doing the the work of the research that we haven't honestly you've been a lovely to talk to and then b your presence online is very much appreciated by all of us Thank you. That, that honestly, that's as long as that's all I care about and I will do it as long as it's wanted and needed. Well, you are wanted and needed. Tell us where we can find you, what you have going on, what you want to promote. So my handle on TikTok and Instagram is at Laura high five. So please follow me there. Uh, you can also follow me. Is that five spelled out? No, five is a number five. Number five. Okay. Uh, say also on threads and on Twitter, I will not call it fucking X, but don't follow me on Twitter. Don't, don't waste your time. Don't <laughs> don't Facebook, just look up Laura high H I G H. I'll come up YouTube, Laura high. My podcast insemination, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And I also do a video version of it as well. It's on YouTube. And then, but if you want to come see me do stand them up, I will say I'm particularly excited about October 15th. I will be headlining in New Orleans at the Howling Wolf. Now I need everybody to mark your calendars on October 15th. Okay. I can't announce it yet, but on October 15th in New Orleans, there is going to be that afternoon, a donor conceived event that I am right now planning and I am working on right now. And if you are donor conceived or you're an ally and you care and you want to support, save that day for me, okay? Um, And what you can also do is you can go uh, to my social media, you can go to my website, wherever it is. And um, there are links, if you go to my link tree, especially that's the easiest way to go to it. It's, It's on all my stuff. There is a button to buy a shirt. It sucks when the evidence can talk. And there's also a uh, GoFundMe. All proceeds for the shirt, everything from the GoFundMe is going to fund this donor conceived event because we're trying to fund as many donor conceived people to get there as possible to help cover a hotel, maybe give some money for transportation, some food, whatever we can do, because it is important to have representation. We need as much representation as possible. So please donate. Uh, If you can't be there, five. A dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, whatever you can do. That would be the uh, incredible and amazing. And then that night, October fifteenth, I will be headlining in New Orleans, and part of the proceeds from that show will be going to donor conceived causes. But yeah, that's I think that that's my little rolodex of of crap. <laughs> so you can I'm fairly easy to find. I'm very loud. <laughs> amazing. Well, Laura, thank you again for joining us. I'm so glad we all got the chance to meet and lament and commiserate and celebrate (laughs) together. Uh, And yes, everyone mark your calendars for October 15th. Go follow Laura on every social media network. She brightens my day every day. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's specifically like, you know, your donor conceived, please reach out. Um, I always love connecting with the community and I will always try my hardest to connect you to the resources that you need Mm -hmm. um, because everyone needs something different. And yeah, no. And, and for the donor conceived people who are out there, connect with your community. That is my biggest piece of advice. I promise it is healing. You may not think you need it. I didn't think I needed it. I promise it, it, it is good go connect with your community. They will be there for you and they are tight knit as hell and they're feral in the best way possible. (laughs) And I can definitely attest by saying that the first thing that Laura did when people connected her to us was ask us what we needed. So thank you so much, Laura. I, we try to come into this with as 
little expectations as we can. And you really blew, blew my socks off. And I think that your cause is just incredibly admirable. Well, thank you. That, thank you. And I, I can't continue. I cannot wait to hear you guys continue to tell your story because it is so goddamn unique and it needs to be understood because just we, we need to, we need to understand all of the different variables to donor conception and adoption because, Hey, donor conception, donor conceived people and adoptees, we are siblings of the baby fucking the, the baby business. And in my opinion, and you guys are certainly are a combination of it. Um, the way that we can combat donor consent, we can get the adoption industry, uh, help get adoptees, get their rights. And the way that we can also combat the, uh, fertility industry as well as our two communities actively need to work together. Fine together. So yeah. Solidarity. Um, there's so much understanding, even though like not everything we, 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 we've gone through together, there's still so much empathy. And I have always felt so unbelievably seen and understood by our adoptee, uh, our adoptee counterparts. Um, and they are just such, they're just such a phenomenal force. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you That's so a much. Mic drop Laura. If I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> you have been the best. We will see you on the other side. Thank you, Laura. Absolutely. What a pleasure and honor and a privilege to have Laura on. Honestly, I have to admit, before her interview, as the We'd Skump Sisters, <laughs> no, the Skump Sisters were shaking in their boots. <laughs> we were Skirt. a little bit nervous to have her on because we thought that it would be like the first major dissenting opinion that we'd had on the podcast. Because if you don't consume all of Laura's media, you might get the wrong impression that she's just against donor conception altogether, which does happen. A lot of people obviously think that if you can't naturally conceive, you shouldn't conceive, yada, yada. Uh, so I overall was just super pleasantly surprised to hear that she just wants things done the right way. And then she still brought a bunch of really amazing storytelling and laughter and levity to that entire thing. I don't think any of us will ever, ever think of a hotel lobby the same. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. I really love talking to people that are smarter than me. And Laura is. And she's just so, like you said, she's so quippy. She's so easy to um to kind of bring along and her i just so appreciate the education that she was able because we i mean are not very educated about the industry as a whole and so some of these things that she brought up are not things that i've ever taken the time to consider or even been introduced to those kind of concepts and we'll see obviously kind of like a little sneak peek of what's to come still in this season um it will those kind of themes will be interlaced throughout i'm sure um so just really really valuable information from laura and again she's just so magnanimous and charismatic and hilarious and all the love for her yeah our most educational interview yet yes i know i found it um super fascinating and i just love 
how knowledgeable she is, but also how personable she is and how we just like kind of fell in. We were all, like we said, terrified and uh, she made it not terrifying at all in any respect and was just so, she one of my favorite interviews, I think, mm-hmm. so far. Um, and I would love to learn more from her yeah. and just open up my mind to everything that is can be changed Mm -hmm. and um i also love that she um while she is like does not agree with the industry and the way that they do things she still is like she has no like resentment toward towards her parents at all she just saw a a need for regulation and something that needed to be changed and even though she didn't have super like strong negative feelings um towards like her parents or their decision she still saw this need and is working to change it yeah yeah. very passionate Mm -hmm. laura thank you so much for coming on you have fans in all of us we appreciate your activism and we will always be cheering for you in the meantime we are signing off We hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, curious about the world around you, and excited for the possibilities. Have a good week, take things in stride, and leave people better than you found them. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.